Today, uh, we are in week two of a short three-week series we're just calling Church Is. And last week, we said uh, we started this series off by saying that the, the, the meaning of something matters, right? That, that it matters how we define things. And, and we said that the meaning of something de- determines how we treat that thing, how we uh, react to that thing, what we do uh, with that thing, the value we place on it, how it affects our lives. We said it this way. We said behavior follows belief, right? Behavior follows belief. So with that in mind, um, it seems like a worthwhile endeavor for us to spend at least three weeks talking about what church is and what it isn't so that we can make our lives, our behavior, our actions, the way we think, the way we talk, line up with that, right? It, it seems like a worthwhile endeavor, endeavor to do that. And that's the thrust of this series. And so church is not hobby, church is not religion, church is not country club or social club, it's not a building. Church is more than that. And last week we talked about how specifically church is family, we are family, and, and if that's true, then it means some things for us, right? It should change the way we treat church. It's just make sure you get the podcast uh, on iTunes or on our, our website because it's huge. But if you have your Bible, uh, you can grab it. Head over to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4. We're going to get there in a couple minutes. We're using Ephesians as kind of the foundation for this series, so we'll get there in a minute. So church is family. Sure, we talked about that last week, and that's, that's huge. If you don't understand church as family, you don't understand church. But it goes, it goes beyond even that. Church is bigger than you. It's bigger than hobby. It's, it's bigger than something you do on Sunday mornings. It's, it's bigger than just one thing on a list of 50 things that your church or that your family does. It's bigger than any of that. I said last week, uh, but I'll say it again, church is the lamest hobby ever, Right? Like, I don't know why you're doing church as a hobby if you're doing church as a hobby. Get a boat, okay? It'll be a lot funner. A lot more fun to go out on a boat and fish than it is to come to church, okay? So uh, if you're doing church as a hobby, you're missing it. Like, don't, don't do it. It's lame. It's lame. Basket weaving would be better. Basket weavers in the house? Yeah, just kidding, because that doesn't exist. All right. It's bigger than that, and it's even more than church as a family, although that's a part of it. What I'm saying is that church is mission. Church is mission. Let's say that together on three. Ready? One, two, three. Church is mission. We're not just together hanging out. We're, we're together striving towards something, towards a mission that God has given us, right? A common cause. We're united by a common cause. That's much more important than like save the whales or whatever you're into lately, all right? It's much more important than that. And the mission, your mission, our mission, the mission, it matters, doesn't it? Everybody kind of is at risk of losing sight of what the mission is. Like sometimes my wife Erin and I, we disagree on the purpose or the mission behind whatever we're doing. Do, do you and your spouse ever disagree? It's just me. I knew it was just us. Gosh, I've been working on it. Um, I knew it was just us. But sometimes we disagree about why we're doing something. Uh, like, for instance, at night when I sit on the couch and I turn on the TV and Aaron sits next to me, sometimes we disagree on why we're doing this. 
Because 3.2 seconds later, she's asleep on my shoulder. And see, I think our purpose is to watch a show together, and she thinks our purpose is for me to be her pillow, right? Yeah, sometimes we disagree about that, but she, she would say that I can be kind of intense when it comes to purpose, when it comes to mission, when it comes to like why we're doing something. I can kind of be intense about the task at hand. Like if you and I and a group of people were coming up to the church to accomplish some tasks, to build something, to plan something, to paint something, to do something together, like my natural bent is like the task is everything and you're secondary. Like you being there is just a secondary thing in order for me to accomplish the task. And so we may talk a little bit, but that's secondary. But some of you, you're the opposite, right? I'm not going to name names, but you're the opposite. Like when we get together to accomplish a task, all you do is talk, right? And you talk and you talk and you talk some more. And I'm like, are we going to get this thing done or not? The answer is no, we're not. Not with you there, because you want to talk all the time, right? Some of you are like that. If your spouse is like that, just elbow them, just to let them know that's them. That's them. To which my wife would say, hey, I think the people might be the mission, Mr. Pastor, (laughs) right? I think maybe you're missing it here. I think the people are the mission. Don't forget that. Touche, wife. Touche. Sometimes we can lose sight of the mission. Sometimes I can lose sight of the mission. Like, we can lose sight of the mission with our kids. Like, we start out knowing what our mission is, that we want to raise up Jesus followers who contribute to the kingdom of God, right? We know that we want to raise up disciples for Jesus, and and that's our mission, and we start out knowing that. But then when they get old enough, our kids want to be in sports, And that's cool. It's not against the mission of God. I mean, in fact, we say, hey, it'll get them around some people who don't know Jesus. So that'll help with the mission of God. And it'll get them into some social situations so they can learn how to better talk with people. And that'll help. And it'll maybe even make them a leader. And that'll help with the mission that that we're set out to do with our kids. And so we, we think it's all a part of this bigger thing. In the beginning, it's all a part of this larger mission. But then With each kid and each year, we seem to add another sport, right? We're adding more sports, and and now they're never not in a sport, and they're not bad, and to be honest, I kind of live vicariously through them, and I kind of get excited when they score a touchdown, and I want my kid to be the star, and man, that extra swim meet medal really makes me feel good about myself, and and this is really, and so I kind of like it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, I, I really like this, so why don't we, Johnny, why don't we go into a select soccer league? When does it happen? Every weekend for the rest of your life. Let's do a select hockey league. Let's do a select whatever. And it's on the weekend. And so now we're not really at church because we're at hockey or soccer or whatever. And we're missing out on that. And then it's like, well, Wednesday nights they have practice. So they're not in youth either. And then it starts to be like, wow, they just have to get up so early to go to school. And they're so late coming home from practice that we haven't really been able to do our family devotion in a long time. And somewhere along the way, we lost sight of the mission. Didn't we? Yeah. It wasn't on purpose. Like we, None of us sit down and make a conscious decision like, okay, let's write out our priorities. Baseball, football, swim, Jesus. Like nobody's doing that. And if you are, let's talk afterwards. Let's just talk, okay? 
But I don't think anybody's doing that, right? It happens actually. It just happens. It just slowly happens. And we look up and, man, we, we haven't made Christ a priority in their lives or our lives. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Sometimes we can lose sight of our mission. And sometimes our, our preferences, like individual preferences, can turn into our purposes. Sometimes our individual secondary missions in life can take the place of God's one primary mission for our lives. I mean, people who would identify as Jesus followers, some of you even, if we were to get down to what you're really all about, what you're passionate about, I think we'd find that it's different than what God's all about. I think we'd find that it's different than what you and I are supposed to be all about. And let's be honest, we've all got that one thing or those two things that really gets us fired up, right? Like just gets us amped up and we're, we're all about it and we know our talking points and we know and we're just going after it, right? Gets us fired up. And your one thing probably isn't God's one thing. We've exchanged God's purposes for our preferences. Now, is it a sin to have preferences? Absolutely not. Mac, PC, Chevy, Ford, run heavy offense, pass heavy offense. Preferences are fine. By the way, it's Mac, Ford, run heavy every time, just in case you were wondering. Preferences are fine. It's okay to have preferences. Like, some of you like your chickens cage-free. I like my chickens in a cage. It's just a preference. So when I go to a, a, a restaurant, I ask the waitress, how small was the cage that this chicken was in? Because I want small cages. I'm just kidding. Kind of. It's just a preference. See how I tweaked some of you there? It was on purpose. It's just a preference. Preferences are okay. But what's not okay is making your preferences and little secondary missions equal to God's law, God's principles, and God's one primary mission. Are you tracking with me? That's not okay. But having preferences is. But this is what kind of what church people tend to do. Like meat. Some of you are vegans, vegetarians. You say, I don't eat meat. My preference is no meat. Awesome. That's your preference, and you could hold to your preference strongly. You can have a passionate preference. It could be one of your missions in life, secondary missions in life, to convince people of your preference. You can articulate it. Give us all the reasons why we shouldn't eat meat. Maybe you'll even change your preference into our preference, and and we'll become vegetarians or vegans. If it's me, it's never going to happen. So just stop, all right? But maybe your secondary mission will become our secondary mission. That's all fine. But you can't say, God doesn't want you to eat meat. Can't say that. Because the Bible doesn't say it. So you can't elevate your preference to God's principles, your secondary mission to God's primary mission. You can't make it your primary mission to turn us heathen meat eaters into vegan angels. Can't do it. But people tend to do this, right? Let's do a couple more examples because we got nothing better to do, right? (laughs) Should moms stay at home or go to work? You can have a preference, 
But you can't elevate that to God's principles. You can have a secondary mission to convince moms that it's better for their kids to have them at home or better for them to have, to, to have a job in the workplace. You can try to convince people of that. But you can't say that God says it should be this way or God says it should be that way. What about this one? I have three kids. When you have kids, one of the things you got to ask yourself is, how am I going to educate my kids? That's kind of parental basics. Just, I'm just getting that in there because some of you maybe hadn't even thought about that. Like, oh, i got to educate them. Okay, it's time. Think about it, all right? So educate your kids. So, you get, so what are you going to do? You're going to homeschool? You're going to public school? You're going you're to private school? You're going to Christian school? What are you going to boarding school, military school? I don't know. What, what are you going to do? You can have a, a preference, You can have a passionate preference for my kids. I believe this is right and this is God's plan, but you can't raise it up to the level of the Bible and declare war over it. But sweet little soccer moms turn into fierce cage fighters over this thing, right? And they'll get in your face and they'll say, God wants you to raise your kids this way. This is how you educate the child in the Bible says to educate the child, but doesn't say exactly what method to do that by. It just doesn't. It doesn't. You can like twist it and make it whatever. It doesn't. It doesn't. And if you make it your, make it your life's primary mission to turn people from dirty public school parental jerks into homeschooling angels, you're off base. Or the opposite, right? If you make it, make it your life's primary mission to turn homeschooling, get kids out of homeschooling and into public schooling, or out of public schooling and into Christian private schooling, you're off base. You're missing it. You see, your secondary mission has taken the place of God's primary mission, the mission, and that's a problem. That's a problem. Here's what I'm saying with this. Don't confuse God's principles with your preferences. Don't confuse God's principles with your preferences because oftentimes they're not the same. Track it with me so far? You're like, oh gosh, this already is a horrible message that's making me mad. Welcome to Great Oaks. <laughs> Let's keep going. It's going to get better. It's not. It's not going to get better. I think we do this as individuals. We elevate our preferences to God's principles and God's laws, but... I think also we do this as a church. Um, I think the church has, in many cases, lost sight of the primary mission. And uh, preferences have kind of taken over. And let let me try to explain to you what I mean. Um, I grew up, I'm a why guy. I want to know why. Tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know, if you're in charge, I'll do it. Uh, But I'll do it better if I know why. Why? I'm a why guy. And I, I, I like, you know, that stage when you're three or four or your kid's three or four and they're just like, but why, but why, but why, but why? And then you yell at them because you're an awesome parent. Remember that? You have never done that. Okay, just making sure. Um, I never left that stage. I'm still at the but why stage. And so when I came to know Christ and I started really trying to, to follow Christ, I had this why thing going on. And so I never outgrew that. And so what happened with me is that the Lord just kind of moved me around to different groups within Christianity. And I just asked why. I just asked 
questions. And so um, I enrolled in school at Abilene Christian University, a Church of Christ school, and I, I studied Bible, and I just asked a bunch of questions. And I, I just wanted to know, is there anything true to what they believe or powerful, to any power in what they believe? And I found some things to be false and some things to be very beautifully true. And I got into this church, this big church called Beltway, and I checked that whole thing out. And it was this progressive, contemporary, quasi-Baptist kind of thing. And it was just huge, and I I checked that out. And then I transferred into HSU, a a Baptist school, and I ended up graduating from there. And so I, I checked out the traditional Baptist world, and I asked a bunch of questions. And then I ended up with the charismatic Pentecostal movement, and I was a youth pastor in that kind of realm. And then I went to China as a missionary in that, and then I was a lead pastor for a few years within that realm. And now I'm here, right? And this is a little bit different. And I just kind of, the Lord just kind of moved me around to different groups, What I noticed was that all of the different kind of branches, they all preach kind of the same thing with different emphasis. Like they would all say, do you want more life? Do you want more joy? Do you want more peace? Do you want to be freed from this sin that is cha- that has chained you up? Do you want all of that? And this is the message going out to non-Christians as well as Christians, both. Do you want life, joy, peace? If you want that, then you need to blank. And depending on the group you were with, that blank was filled in differently. You tracking with me? It was filled in differently. And so depending on where you were, it was like you need more Bible. You need truth. If you become a master of truth, you'll get it. And then there were other places that were like, no, 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 it's discipleship. Just get into a regimen. Just get into this programmatic day-by-day discipleship, and then you'll be fine. Then you'll be good at spiritual disciplines. And then at the charismatic churches, it was the Holy Spirit. You need more of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand the Holy Spirit. You need to speak in tongues. You need to pray for like six hours straight, and there needs to be real tears, right? Like, it needs to be real. This needs to really happen. And then other places were like, no, 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 no. It's deep, authentic, real community. That's, that's where it's at. If you get that, then you'll find life and joy and peace. And it's real, deep, authentic community. And then other people were like, no, no, no. It's not a, just community. It's community renewal. It's social justice. It's helping our culture turn things around. It's, it's giving to the poor. It's helping those in need. That's the one thing. And then you had others who were like, no, 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 it's missions. Missions is the heart of God. We can never get to the heart of God without sending people to other countries or going there ourselves. It's all about missions. This is what we need to be all about. And so others were like, no, 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 it's worship. Just sing. Just sing a bunch and loud. Raise your hands, kneel. We're going to sing that song again five times. It's worship, right? Let's do this. God wants worshipers. And on and on and on, I could go. And I'm not trying to discredit those things. They're good and viable, and many are commanded in the scriptures. I think what's happened, though, is that churches have concentrated on like one or two of those in pursuit of excellence, in pursuit of doing things perfectly. We've concentrated on one or two and neglected the rest. And in the end, it's made us very unhealthy. We've made this thing, this one thing our mission, and it's caused problems. 
I heard a guy preach it this way one time. He said, imagine you went to the gym and you only worked the right side of your body. You only worked out the right side of your body. Now, I'm being careful here not to say you only worked the upper part of your body because that's every guy in here, okay? Uh, I love your biceps and your chicken legs, okay? So there's, so maybe you should do squats. I'm just saying, maybe you should do some squats. But let's say you were able to work out just the right side of your body, okay? So you did this bicep and this tricep, and you figured out how to do just these abs, and you did this quad and this calf, and you were just working that side out. And you, you ate the creatine, you, you did the protein shakes, you did that whole thing that, that crazy people, I mean, that some people do. And uh, you, you did all of that. Now, what you might be thinking is, well, at least my right side would be strong. At least I'd be powerful in my right side. At least my right side would be strong. But the problem with that is that the body wasn't designed that way. So here's what's going to happen. As you grow and stretch the ligaments and tendons and the muscles begin to grow on the right side of your body, it's going to push one of your hips forward and pull one of your hips back. And it's going to push one of your shoulders forward and push one of your shoulders back. And you're going to become misaligned and disjointed and all twisted. And in the end, you're not going to be strong anywhere because you're going to throw out your back or blow out a hip and you're just going to be a mess. Because you're disjointed and trying to operate outside of how God designed you to function, right? And so what happens when churches say, let's be good at this one thing, is in the end, the church, she ceases to function as God designed her to function. The broader mission is lost. And so you get this sickly, maligned, disjointed version of what should be strong and beautiful and effective. So here's the warning. Don't confuse God's primary mission with your secondary one. Don't confuse God's primary mission with your secondary one. They're not always the same. They're not always the same. Look at Ephesians 4 with me real quick. Ephesians 4 starting in uh, verse 1. We've got all these different purposes and missions going about, all these things that we could focus on, but it seems in this passage that there's really only one. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here's here's what I want you to see from this. There's only one mission, and it's accomplished together, not as individuals. There's only one mission, and it's accomplished together, not as an individual, because this whole passage is talking about us becoming one as the body of Christ, the church. So we bear with one another. That means we handle each other's imperfections and weaknesses like we talked about last week, and we're eager to maintain unity and peace. Unity and peace are not things you can do on your own. In order to be at unity with somebody, you've got to be around somebody, right? In order to have peace with a human being, you have to be around a human being. Are you tracking with me? I mean, You've got you to be around people within this. And then it says, 
that it says that we're eager to find these things. So it's not secondary, this secondary thing that we're made to do. No, unity is something we want. It's not like, oh gosh, okay, pastor. We'll be unified, sure. It's not like that. It's like, oh gosh, we've got to find peace with other people. All right. It's we're eager to do it. We're eager to be one in the Lord. And then we're supposed to be the body of Christ, the church. And then it says that we're called the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. You can have things you're passionate about. You can have things that you're better at. You can have things that really get you going in the morning. You can have things like that. But if you focus on those so much that you neglect the one mission of the church, you're in danger of missing it all together, aren't you? And if you try to do Christianity on your own, apart from the body of Christ, you're just doing it wrong. I mean, you're just doing it wrong. This whole thing was designed to be carried out in community with one another. You won't make it on your own. You won't accomplish what God has for you to accomplish without the body of Christ. It's impossible. Not because I'm great or we're really smart people or we're smarter than you, although collectively that's probably true, right? I'm probably smarter than you. If you don't think that, then you're wrong. Okay, so collectively, we we're probably smarter than you. So, but it's not about that. It's not about that, that there's this great resource here necessarily. It's not about that. It's, it's about the fact that you can't do this alone because this is how God designed it to work. He's the architect. He's the designer. He's the one who made this up. You and I were designed to need each other. And not in that we see each other for five minutes on Sunday morning every now and then and shake hands and stumble over each other's names. Now that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. It, this is important in that we do life together. In that we get together with a small group of our church family regularly to encourage one another and to keep going on towards, pressing on towards the mission of God. At Great Oaks, we call that life groups. Make sure you get plugged into a life group after service today if you haven't already. We'll get more into that in a minute. But the question becomes, what's the one mission we're called to? If there's one mission, if church is mission, then what is that mission? Go back a chapter in Ephesians to chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read you this passage starting in verse 8. To me, although I am the very least of all the saints... This is the Apostle Paul, by the way, who's writer of 75% of the New Testament, greatest missionary that ever lived. To me, although I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that's the Apostle Paul's calling. It's already awesome. It's already awe-inspiring. But the next verse is the one that I want you to see specifically today. So that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So Paul goes, okay, okay, it's, it's no longer just a Jewish thing. It's going to be all over the world. I've been called out by God, ordained by God, set apart by God to tell the world about, Jew, to tell the world about Jesus, not to make them Jews, not to spread Judaism, but to convert them to Christ. So now the manifold wisdom of God is going to be seen in the universe. 
So so the manifold wisdom of God, the the big, huge, all-encompassing wisdom of God is supposed to be proclaimed and demonstrated by you and me. Not just you and not just me, but you and me, us, together, the church. The world is supposed to see in the church the manifold, big, all-encompassing wisdom of God displayed. Our mission is to proclaim and demonstrate to the world how awesome God's wisdom is, how right he is, how great he is, how amazing is his wisdom. Those far from God are supposed to interact with the church and then leave going, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. I get why I was made this way. I get why Jesus died on the cross. I get why the church is what it is. I get why the world is what now I get it. Now I get it. I get his love for me. The manifold wisdom of God is supposed to click into place in their souls after interacting with us. They're not supposed to interact with the church and go, oh, now I get it. I just have to do these religious acts of righteousness and then God will be happy with me. Oh, now I get it. I just need to read the Bible every day. If I do that, God will let me into heaven. Oh, now I get it. I just need to give money to missions or money to the poor or I need to tithe and then God will be okay with me. It's not, I need to sing more, pray more, understand this doctrine or that theology. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than any, any one of those things. The mission of the church is the mission of God to save the world. It's deeper than this other stuff and that happens through Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of God, that he made a way, that God made a way where there was no way, that he gave so that he would be glorified and you and I would have a way back to him. That's his wisdom. That's his wisdom. You and me, together, us, the church, we're supposed to display the the manifold wisdom of God by the words we speak, the actions we take, the way, the way we live with and love one another, what, what we do with our money, our influence, our, our time, so that those far from God see it, receive it, and begin to walk in that wisdom of God as they draw closer to God. And there's a name for this. It's called making disciples. That's all it is. It's just making disciples. It's just It's just doing what Matthew 28 says. It's just making disciples. And whether you realize it or not, you are already a disciple maker. Every one of us is reproducing ourselves in other people. The question is, are you making disciples of your secondary mission, your preferences, or are you making disciples of Jesus and the mission that God has given us? Where is, what kind of disciples are you making? It all comes down to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Even this command to make disciples. Teach them all of it. Listen, the mission of the church is to save the world 
by clearly displaying the truth of the gospel with the purpose of making Jesus following disciples who make Jesus following disciples, all for the glory of and through the power of God. Let me say that again, and I I hope that you'll write it down or try to remember it or study it for yourself, pick it apart, do whatever you want to do. I just want you to pay attention for just a moment. The mission of the church is to save the world by clearly displaying the truth of the gospel with the purpose of making Jesus-following disciples who go and make Jesus-following disciples, all for the glory of and through the power of God. Listen, there is no way to be the church without this. If we are not consumed with the mission of God to save the world together, we're not the church. We're just a country club. We're just a bunch of people who like to hang out feel better about ourselves. We're a social club. There is no church without mission. There is no way to be the church without the world-changing, life-transforming mission of God. There's no way to do it. There's no way to be a, a Christ follower without giving your life and every part of your life, family, career, finances, community, shopping at the grocery store, talking to the bank teller and the barista at Starbucks, every part of your life over to the mission of God to make his manifold wisdom known in the earth. One Jesus-following disciple at a time. This is our DNA. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. This is the heart of God. Multiplication is inherent in the mission itself, isn't it? And listen, beloved, that goes for you individually as agents of the mission, and it goes for the church collectively here at Great Oaks. What I mean is that as an agent of of God's manifold wisdom, your mission, should you choose to accept it, It's to make disciples one by one. You're supposed to go to your neighbors, knock on the door, and build mission-focused relationships with them with the hope that you are going to win them over to the cause of Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to talk to your coworkers and your friends and anyone you come into contact with about the manifold wisdom of God, how awesome God is, how right He is, in the hopes that you'll win them over to the cause of Christ. You're supposed to do this individually, sure. But, but we together as a church, we have to be about multiplication too. It's in our DNA. It's inherent in our mission. But we cannot be the church without reproducing the church. We can't be the church without planting the church. It's just impossible. It's impossible to be the church without reproducing the church. There is a sea of lost people out there stuck in darkness that need to be shown the light of Christ. That's on you and me. But that's not something me and the the leadership team and the other pastors can really do by ourselves. That's not something that we can do organizationally or we can put it up on the wall and that'll be good enough. It's not something we can really accomplish that way. This mission of God, it's bigger than that. It's as big of a calling, a cause, an endeavor as you'll ever get to be a part of, as you'll ever be caught up in. And that brings me back to Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4, starting in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me try to unpack that for you real quick. We, the, the church, not, not, not you or me, but you and me, right? We together, we, the church, proclaim the truth in love to the world. And in so doing, we grow closer to Jesus and we become stronger, stronger in the world for Christ, a stronger force for Jesus. With each, with each Jesus-following disciple that we make, we take territory, ground away from the enemy, right? And we take it back for Jesus. With each Jesus-following disciple, we do that. Each person that makes up the church, they help this happen. We can't do this without every person in the church, the Apostle Paul is saying. It all happens because each part of the church is working properly, he says. Each person that that makes up the church, like ligaments and joints and and muscles in a body, they hold us up and they keep us moving where the head, Christ, tells us to go. The mission that he set out for us keeps us accomplishing that mission for God. We move in concert with one another. We work together. We move together by focusing on the grand mission of God, the world-changing mission of God, and not just one piece of it or this secondary mission over here, our body stays healthy. We're not sickly or misaligned or incapacitated because we've only spent time on the right side of our body all the while neglecting the left. We're healthy. What I'm saying is that each of us needs to accept this truth. I don't accomplish the mission of God. We do. I don't accomplish the mission of God. We do, collectively, as a church. I mean, think about it. We need each other, right? I mean, Batman had Robin. The Lone Ranger wasn't very lone, was he? He had Tonto. I mean, even Michael Jordan had Scottie Pippen. And Superman created the Justice League. That last one you didn't know. Write it down. Seriously, though, even if you're the best personal evangelist ever and you're winning converts every day of your life, if you're just you and not we, then we got a problem. Those converts will be the same, and they won't be, you won't be making Jesus-following disciples. You'll be making a bunch of self-reliant knockoffs who think that they don't need other people and don't need the church, even though the whole New Testament clearly says that they do. So even if you're a convert-making machine, the only way this works is if you're sold out to the collective mission of the church as God intended you to be. To to accomplish the mission of God, the church needs all of itself. To be fully we, every part of the body has to be holding this thing up and moving us in the right direction. Despite personal preference, or whatever secondary mission that may have caught your eye this week. The church, the church is a body made up of different parts. We need every part functioning as it should to accomplish the mission. It's that big. And to function as we're supposed to function within the church, within the body of Christ, 
you and I need to live this thing out in in close relationship with with a few of our church family. I mean, we need to get together. We need to break this thing down. We need to, I mean, big big weekly gatherings are fun and they're good and they're purposeful. We, We challenge one another. We leave hopefully challenged for our week. We worship together. I like this big gathering. Don't get me wrong. But if we never go from here to the next step, if we don't break it down and get to know each other and encourage one another, then we're missing it. We need to know family in the church and be known by them. We need to break the word down, study it together. We need to lean on one another and do life together. That's why I want you to get plugged in to a life group. It's not just something we do to add to a list of things that I have to do or Pastor Bill has to do or whoever. Why would we do that? We do it because we know that this is the way God has designed us to function. There's no way around it. Listen, beloved, church is more than an activity or one of many hobbies on a long list. We're, not, we're united not only by our beliefs and the fact that we want to hang out. I mean, I want to hang out with most of you. You know what I mean. We're united by our mission, the mission of God to save the world. Church is mission. But it's easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of easy to lose sight of the mission of God. We don't do it on purpose. We don't make a conscious decision to be all about the music or, or the volume of the music or the style or this certain doctrine or program or, or this certain ministry. It's just like getting so focused on the tasks that, that we forget the people involved or, or just like getting so busy with secondary things when it comes to our kids that we forget the mission, the reason why we raise our kids. It just kind of happens, doesn't it? I mean, we all have these preferences and sometimes we let them get in the way and then we find ourselves not really even thinking about the mission of God. Not really thinking about the mission that God has given us to save the world by clearly displaying the truth of the gospel with the purpose of making Jesus-following disciples who make Jesus-following disciples. We've lost sight of that. And let's be honest. There, all of us have one or two things. You have one or two things that really get you amped up, right? Like, you know, your co- talking points, you know, like, don't go there like, with her. You know what I'm talking about? Like, don't talk to her about that. It won't, like, you'll, you're in for a two-hour conversation. Like, it's, you get amped up about it. You're all about it. But the question is, is your one thing God's one thing? Is your mission God's mission? If you're a follower of Christ, this stuff matters. Mission matters because church is mission. And if church is mission, then that changes the way we approach it, doesn't it? Yeah, because behavior follows belief. And listen, if you think this is too hard, if you think this is too broad, too impossible, too intense, I've got some good news for you. You'll find a thousand other churches and a hundred other pastors, hundreds of other pastors who will tell you, no, 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 no. It's just this one simple thing over here. Just do this one thing and you'll be good. It's worship. It's foreign missions. It's cultural and, and community renewal. It's this doctrine or this program. It's helping the poor. The problem with that is that it's not true. It'll get the body misaligned and disjointed 
but at least it's easier, right? May you be so consumed with the primary mission of God that all of your preferences and secondary missions in life fade into the background. May you find here in our church a people committed to saving the world one Jesus-following disciple at a time. And may you realize what the church is and what it isn't. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Make sure you get signed up for a life group on your way out.